The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen-shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deek speaking. Everyone relax. This is Tofa. <laughs> Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and returning guest Charlie Clawson, David Huntsberger is here. Hello mate. How are you? Good. Good to be Charlie again. It is good to have you back. I think you're I, I don't know if I said this last time. But I would say if we had to get one of the people who's played Charlie mm-hmm. to like actually play Charlie in real life, uh-huh. if we took this live and yeah. you actually had to be, you'd be the most lookalikey. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. He's a handsome dude. Oh, thank you. I'm not flirting. Right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think. Well, Charlie and I thank you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Nice, nice one. What have you been up to, man? Uh, just modeling myself after Charlie, looking up photos of him styling myself like um no i've been uh, drawing a lot working on uh, animated pitch ideas and trying to get involved in that world a little bit tell me so tell me about that we stumbled on your drawing a little bit last time but i am quite fascinated by when, when did you start drawing like what, what you know when when did that um, become exciting to you i've been watching a lot of uh documentaries on artists and they all the most recent one i watched was uh beauty is embarrassing it's a it's wayne white he did a lot of the peewee's playhouse art mm-hmm. design and puppeteering and stuff and the running theme is always like we that kid could just draw off before he could talk or they were always drawing and i wasn't like that right so no one would ever confuse me with like a great artist but i did draw a lot as a kid and did you just, like it I liked it in I was very compartmentalized. I think I always had like a lot of things I liked doing. So if I was like building forts, if I was playing sports and other things that rhyme, I guess, but like if uh, <laughs> 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 any other <laughs> studying law school torts, whatever I have <laughs> He's a weirdly developed kid. It was the rhyming thing. He couldn't think of anything else that rhymed with ought. Yeah, then he just got out of he, it. He, he plays uh, crosses and noughts. Isn't it noughts and crosses? He has to make the rhyme work. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and uh, I, so I would just, yeah, I would have like a drawing season almost. I would get really, I would fill up a notebook over the course of, you know, a couple months maybe. And especially if we ever were going to see my grandparents or any sort of like uh, road trip, uh-huh. then I would just set my pad in my lap and draw the entire time. I, wouldn't, I never saw any scenery. I was just always looking at whatever I was drawing. So, so I, you weren't even drawing like the stuff that was going by. You weren't getting out on the road no. and being inspired by the art. No, it's, and not a lot's changed in that way. I'd get an idea. I would carry it around with me like through school and until the drive was coming up or until I, it was drawing season uh-huh. and then I would do it. <laughs> so like, then it was time to capture this thing that was always in my head. Amazing. I was, but I knew I had no skills as far. I, there would be dust that was slowly sort of uh, breaking away in this cool gradient that opened up into the clouds. And then instead it would just be a kid's scribbling of clouds right. and some dust speckles, like lines go. I'm just, I'm fascinated terrible. by kids enjoy, enjoyment of drawing though because I, I was I was thinking about this this week because my uh, one of my nieces has just gone to kindergarten which is like uh, preschool yeah, uh, yeah. 
for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a photo of her on the first day and she was like, yeah, having the best time of her life drawing. Yeah. And you forget that like they're just so excited to draw. I love it. Like when I was a sub, I would tell the kids, you can draw, you can write, just don't talk. You mean in, in S&M, yeah? <laughs> you're, yeah. a, you're a sub? When, when I was subbing in for the... <laughs> All right, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sub, I was, not a dom. I thought that's... When I was dominating people yeah. for money. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I'm, uh, I, would, uh, I would tell the kids to do that. And uh, so often they wouldn't. And I was blown away by that because I remember... I like, like your niece, I remember kids that love doing it. So I, in my head, that's what I associate. Oh, kids, it's weird. You get them with crayons and paper and they can't get enough. They love drawing. But I think I kept most of the drawings that kids would give me because there were so few of them. And my favorite was this kid gave me this crudely drawn dragon with this weird like unicorn, uh, you know, horn on its head. And then the quote below said a dragon that forged from a diamond that shines with a blinding light which i thought was pretty clever for a kid wow i liked it I yeah that so. kid was flirting with you <laughs> <laughs> well and that's where we get back to the snm yeah. <laughs> this kid gets it yeah i i am fascinated by because i like i have no skill for drawing but i quite like, enjoy drawing as well doodling like yeah. i don't I certainly don't but draw, but I thing, like to doodle. I think I think it's a muscle. I think that I have so many friends that go, I, I can't draw or I couldn't draw. Um, one of mine in particular, he has a very unique style. It's very much his. And, he, and he, he draws all the time now, but he was like, I didn't draw. I didn't draw. I wrote comic books and I had a friend who would draw them for me. And the, the friend just kept taking longer and longer until my friend was like, fine, and sat down and like painstakingly was like, well, that's a face. And then before long you have your own fingerprint and right. whatever you end up drawing is like, Oh, I guess that's just my style. It's not what I see in my head, but it's, that's how I draw. Well, I, I weirdly enough, cause, uh, m- my ex-girlfriend, Amy and I, when we were out at dinner, um, I mean, we were together a long time, so we had to come up with ways to <laughs> entertain each other. And one of them was, she actually has a fine arts background and is actually a great, you know, can draw, can paint, can screen print, can, you know, like I would yeah. often come home to the house and she was like making, you know, giant bullets that a girl could write on in a film clip out of paper mache. Oh, awesome. and, you know, like yeah. very creative, you yeah. know. Whereas I, you know, wouldn't consider myself like that at all. But she was fascinated by my drawings of people. So we would go out to like lunch or whatever and I would just draw the people at the next table. Mm -hmm. And they were very crude like, you know, drawings as in like you would never mistake them for somebody who has any (laughs) talent in drawing. But for whatever reason, I I have this weird ability to in these drawings sum up not only vaguely what the person looked like, Mm -hmm. but much more than that, the essence of who they were. See that I think most artists would trade that skill. I think that is much more worthwhile. Yeah, you can look at these pictures and you're like, oh yeah, she was like so (laughs) angry about her food, or that guy just kept like, and it's all there in the and I don't know what it is. And she was always saying to me, she goes, you know what, you should do more of that and put out a zine. And I'm like, honey. I'm already putting out a podcast. How far back do you want my career to go? I'm really, am I going to leave the television show and start publishing a zine? It does feel like... Breaking news. Will Anderson's new zine is out. <laughs> um, so, so you're drawing a bit for, with, what, with an aim to, to actually you know, turn it into something. Yeah. I, it's, getting back to you, though, I'm fascinated by that, that you can't see that as... It's your style. It's your thing. Because if we look at the far side, you think Gary Larson 
was a fine arts major who right. knew how to draw like that, but that could have been the only way he could draw people. And they, the, the essence of him kind of right. like poured into them. Like that woman is really funny to look at. She's yeah. just drawn so poorly, <laughs> but he was probably like, God ah, damn it. I'm trying to draw her perfectly here. <laughs> And so, <laughs> I think about that all the time. Like I get so mad at myself because in when I'm drawing, I'm thinking like this will look like a Norman Rockwell thing, or right. this, the people will look like people. Mm-hmm. But then I find, especially if you go to a mall or something, there's almost no way you can draw people that that person somewhere in the world doesn't exist, whatever that body type is. Right. So I, that's freeing in a certain way. That uh, uh, so anyway, I, I, I well, I, I quite like the idea too. Now that you think about it, well, now that I think about it, Mm -hmm. you asked me to think about about the thing I like about South Park, and I think the reason that South Park, in some ways, like I was always a person that if you'd had to make me choose between the two at the start, I would have said The Simpsons was a better show. Like I just was more consistently entertained by The Simpsons. I thought it was so clever, Mm -hmm. and I still to this day love love The Simpsons. I'm even a person who like will try to defend modern episodes. <laughs> I see a good one occasionally. Yeah. And it keeps me hanging on, right? I watched one a while ago and I was like, just kind of like a, a father who hadn't watched his kid play baseball in a while or something. Like, oh, pre- still pretty good. Still right? good, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but South Park, like some of the recent episodes have been as funny as anything they've ever done. Yeah. And I think part of that is, that what would have been seen at the start as a limitation of the show, which is the crudeness of the animation, has mm-hmm. allowed them to be able to turn around that show so quickly. Right. Instead of having to write a joke and then send it away for a year to be animated. Like right. they could really turn things around really topically and currently. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's kept it a lot fresher, I think, than the other shows. If you have a built-in foil to anything, I mean in comedy even, if someone dresses funny or if you see someone that just walks out on stage and they look atypical there's something about their style that's always going to make you like i just trust that this person's funny but if someone comes out and they are they look like a president or something they're just very like debonair wearing a suit perfectly combed hair there's a part of you that's like well this better stay funny because i they put so much effort into and leaving nothing to chance or question about their appearance. Whereas South Park, there's always like, oh God, that's funny that they drew that so poorly. Right. It get, I like that added element. Yeah, cool. So, what, so what are you? It's really doing making then? me rethink my comedy career. All of a sudden, I right. gotta like <laughs> walk out with like a bird's nest in my hair or something. The way that you go out on stage all the time dressed as a president. <laughs> I love that the, the, your best, and you're you're right. Like that's a good example. But when you scrambling. went to how straight, like how straight and dressed up can somebody look like? Yeah. What would be the occasion you would get most dressed up for? If Being you were president, president, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's the most dressed up you can get. <laughs> are you dressed better than the president at work? Then you are overdressed for your job. The- yeah, CEO then president. President. The difference cufflinks every day. Right. <laughs> some some sort of badge with a flag on it. I would. Yeah, think, yeah. Some know. lapel pen, something right. there that's not really necessary to your everyday work. Are you a voter? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that a thing that you can ask people? I'm not sure. I know that there's some things that you're not meant to ask people but yeah dave Chappelle, did you ever see killing them softly you might, you've seen that right yeah like, of course. Oh, the greatest spe- he when he's like you know white guys just being like you can ask them anything except who they voted for like dave dave please come on and uh, i'm not like that i i but i also i have so many friends that voted either didn't vote in what to me and i knew it was kind of cheesy to be like i'm gonna cast a vote for the potentially first ever 
black president. Right. That's going to be something later in my life I feel good about. And my friend was like, who cares? It's just, it's such a publicity thing. He's going to win. I'm not going to do it just so I can, this feels stupid. It feels manufactured. And I was like, you're crazy. Like yeah. even, but even that's, so. But that's a guy who was like, you know what? I'll buy the Woodstock album. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be crowded if we go there. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want to actually be part of history. <laughs> I just want to be history adjacent. That's what yeah. I want to be. I want the appreciation that you see in a news special where someone came over with bare feet in a boat and then, you know, they attained votership and they're crying as they punch the ballot. Whereas me, I it's like when a team wins a game. I know this feels good, but what has it really done for me? I've just watched them on a television do so which in no way impacts me but yet i feel like good they won it's the same thing with voting where i'm like i know this should feel better than it does right. but I, yeah it'd be good to have something to really believe in yeah but that's well i mean that's what i think with obama like whatever happened and whatever you know limitations i i don't because here's what i've learned about america they don't okay. like people from other countries coming over here and telling them what they're doing wrong <laughs> so i'm keeping that stuff to myself a lot unless more you than do I it was. in movie form unless right. you do it where like the person at the end is welling up with tears going that's what it's all about then, <laughs> then we like that message over and over and over the, the overall like keep appreciating it that's what's great about it we love that being told to us over and over so um, I, when I was watching on the plane, uh, the butler, Lee Daniels, the butler. Okay. Very That's much. with Forrest Whitaker, right? Forrest Whitaker playing this guy who was a butler at the White House from, you know, back in the days when, you know, being a, a black man, you know, in a white household was a... Anyway, there was, look, we all know what happened. It was messy. <laughs> <laughs> We've all seen 12 great. Years of Life. If you haven't, check it out. Good film. I mean, not good film. We all know what I mean. <laughs> Summer blockbuster. <laughs> Not a date movie. I actually had to give that advice to my manager. Yeah. She uh, she rang me up and she was like, I'm going on like, she, yeah, her husband and her were going on like an anniversary date and they were going to gold class, which is, you know, where you get the food delivered on the big chairs and stuff like that at the uh -huh. movies. And there was only two choices and it was like Wolf of Wall Street, which she'd heard was like three hours long and she's pregnant. So she didn't want to like go to see a three hour movie Yeah, or 12 years a slave. And I just went, you know what? Put up with the getting up to go to the toilet. <laughs> I don't think 12 Years a Slave is a date movie. Good call. Not an anniversary film, I don't think. Um, but uh, what I was going to say is in that movie, it tells his story right throughout his life and the changing you know, attitude to black people in America. And, and, and the, the, the thing that it brought home to me, even though intellectually I am very aware of that, is that all that happened in a dude's lifetime. Yeah. Like all this shit, you watched it and you just went, oh, that's right. And these were people who lived long enough. Like this dude got to meet Obama. Like he served in a White House when black people, you know, didn't have the same rights as white people. Yeah. And then he lived to see a black person become the president of the United States. That's, that's got to have meant something to them, right? Yeah. You've got to have felt good about casting that vote at that time. Yeah. And I like that. You want to be part of that history. You want to be part of the good history. You want yeah. to say, I voted for the thing that made the world a bit better, right? Yeah. And then we can open up to the, yeah, the prospect that, you know, black people can be bad 
being president or <laughs> white people can be bad at being president. Uh-huh. Our, our attitude is that everyone could be good or bad at like, you know, sure, regardless. everyone's given a fair shake right. to try to be terrible. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, going to get everything right or whatever. Yeah. In the same way as we had a female prime minister in Australia who made her share of mistakes. That doesn't mean <laughs> that people should go, well, no woman should get another go at that. Look at all the things a woman got wrong last time. We need a new bad guy, though. And maybe like someone like Rush Limbaugh will take this on himself to be like, all right, we gave it a shot. No more of that. Right. That would be the ultimate bad guy where everyone would just be like, what? That, that, I like the idea. Oh, somebody that, will do so that. Though. Someone will say Next which time is a crazy. black person runs for president, yeah. there'll, be, there'll be a few people. Like, We've already seen this. <laughs> I'm just fascinated by how that person's brain works. Just to really be an adult and carry on that sentiment of, oh, I've seen the results and uh, I feel pretty good about saying this. Right. This reinforces everything I thought. <laughs> it, uh, so uh, I, I was thinking about that in relation to Australia at the moment because Scotland recently became the 19th country in the world to legalize gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means that Australia really is like, you know. We, we, <laughs> I think in the world on progressive issues, mm-hmm. I always like to think we should sneak in the top 20. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that yeah. seems like when they make the documentaries in the future, <laughs> the people who snuck into the top 20 aren't the ones who get the finger pointed at them. That's true. You know, yeah. it's the South Africans of the world that get the movies made about <laughs> them. And uh, But, you know, South Africa has gay marriage. Like it, I always say it's like it's a bad world when South Africa is more progressive than you are. <laughs> they have jumped ahead in light years. So... Um, I'm a bit worried about that in, in regard to Australia, that we might be the ones who, like, we hold on to that for way longer. Because it seems like... Yeah, because someone might be last. Right. I don't and think we'll don't... be last. No. I mean, we're still a fair way ahead of a lot of countries in the world. But yeah, you know what? Like, it, you don't want to be... I reckon top 20s, get in, right? <laughs> get in there. Yeah, because you want to be... One of the countries that they list off as like an example. Right. Such countries as, and then they only say three or four, but you want to be one of those three or four. Like, you oh, always. all those people, they got their act together. We were one of the first countries in the, Australia was one of the first countries in the world to let women vote, let women vote, to, <laughs> to you know, recognize that women should be able to vote. Yeah. Right? One of the first in the world. <laughs> Look at how progressive we were. stay with that. Right. Yeah, we let them vote and you're only allowed to marry them. That's what we're staying <laughs> with. We've changed our mind on being progressive. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, I, I can't remember what got us onto that rant, but it didn't matter. Uh, tell me about more about what you're drawing and what's it for. Uh, well, a few things. I have like a, like a kind of a kid's show that I'm working on. So... I, oh, so like four kids, you mean? Yeah, like kind of like the Goonies kind of a thing. You know, that, that age group, like kind of appealing to... Hopefully adults could sit down and watch it, but I like... Um, Do you know that... Um, sorry, it was it Chunk from the Goonies? He's an was? entertainment lawyer. He's an entertainment lawyer. Yeah. And apparently he will like, you know, if it's like late at night at a festival and he's like had a few drinks, he will do the truffle shuffle. Truffle shuffle. Yeah, I've heard that. The first time I heard it, I, <laughs> I asked someone, I go, do you think... He would do the truffle shuffle, and there was a course. Well, no, he's, I mean, he's heavy litigation. He's yeah. in a conference room or whatever. But then, yeah, I heard from someone that was at a festival. Yeah. Where he was like, oh, yeah, he's a yeah. good dude. He'll I'll do the truffle shuffle. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I like hard. that, though. I like, love I it. like that about the guy who's like, well, I did this. Now I'm doing something else. Yeah. But fuck. It, if, it's, if it will make you happy, yeah. for me, because he's probably made more people happy doing the truffle shuffle than we're ever going to make telling fucking jokes to, in clubs to Oh, people. no question. Right. No question. 
because we don't have a charm that was like in a movie, you know, in a, right. in a formative movie from your childhood that we can pull back. Oh, that thing you're here. Right. I'll, we don't have that. So tell me what those things were for you. So Goonies was Goonies was one. one of them. Like the Sandlot was one. Oh, yeah. I was just this is a weird tie-in. The other I was just watching a movie the other day that's in that same vein to a certain degree. It's called The Cowboys. Uh, it's a John Wayne movie, and right. John Wayne plays a character named Will, Will Anderson. Anderson. Yeah, I have heard that. You've heard that, and it's so good. He's the greatest dude, and but it involves kids. Like the Cowboys are kids. Bruce Dern's a bad watch guy. This movie so good, and uh, it's it, it's the Goonies in a way that for me as a kid that like grew up around horses and stuff like that, where I was like, that could happen. They get to carry guns. They right. get to be men. You know, they get to like go do. <laughs> as a kid, there's nothing greater than that. Like they're finally someone's trusting. <laughs> These 12 year olds it's about time and they don't like set the house on fire they make it happen it's awesome that's really cool yeah so i i like stuff like that so i i have you know some do you remember can too. i ask you um do you remember i was listening to somebody have a conversation about this the other day maybe this is a weak question but here okay. we go do you remember the first film that you like started to realize that like women were like something that you were interested in like can you remember oh, weird was science. it like a movie yeah it was weird science yeah right, definitely yeah, yeah. Th- i can't be alone in that either I, there was something so provocative about her she was in a lot of movies that woman but it was weird science where and it wasn't even just her body she had this she had a look like that was so seductive it was beaming through the television to like an eight-year-old right. going you want to have sex with me and me being like <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I believe you. <laughs> Just being so compelled by her. Uh, yeah, for me, it was a movie that people won't probably even remember. But I was when these people were having this conversation, I was like, what was it for me? And it immediately came to mind. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's such a... I wonder if that's had any influence on... Like, so to extrapolate on this little like, yeah. thing in my head, which is this. I wonder if you could study... The first time that you had like a sexual feeling towards like a, you know, a movie character or thing and extrapolate out of that anything about the way your sexuality evolved, right? Yeah. Now. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. I like this. I mean, you, you, you know, got a bit like, you know, sexually attracted to weird science. Mm -hmm. And now years later, Mm -hmm. you do like a science podcast, kind (laughs) of. (laughs) Very loosely. It's a tenu- tenuous yeah. link. Yeah. It's, got, it's got professor in the title. That's, a, that's about that's it. That's about that's it. That's as far as we go. It's not really <laughs> science I was trying to think of some good link there. But no, do you think that, that that has any effect on like the sort of women that you end up being attracted to or that like... I think there. I think there's a missing element, at least for me, that ties it together. Because you've met my girlfriend. She doesn't uh-huh. look like the girl from Weird Science. No, she does not. However, I went through a lot of my adult years being attracted to girls like that and dating several girls that looked similar in in some way to the weird science girl. Obviously none of them is hot. Um, (laughs) But I think the first time I was ever compelled and attracted to a woman in a, in a movie and it stayed with me. I think Uh that's another formative thing. I'm still thinking about that movie or I'm thinking, what if we were on a date right now, hypothetically? Yes. And it was that Rodney Dangerfield movie, Ladybugs. The girl that's in that, that's, that was the girl that was like my imaginary girlfriend. Cause you know, she was, she was just a year or two older than me. I think when I saw that it seemed reasonable. And then she stayed that age, the movie age 
as I watched it maybe every six months or once a year. So I caught up to her in age. So at some point, she always seemed still older than me, but I, it wasn't weird anymore. I was right. like, oh, I'm not a little kid anymore, lady. And uh, Although if you watched it now, it'd be weird. It'd be real weird now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a shame. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if movies aged with you? Oh, that'd be oh, the, the saddest thought. Why'd you do that to me? <laughs> No, because I um, thought about it the other day because I saw because um, I never saw the Harry Potter films and I saw uh, the the Hermione girl. What's her name? Yeah, uh, uh, Emma. Em, Emma, is that right? She's British, so yeah. probably. Uh, um, oh, anyway, Watson. Watson. I think it's Emma, uh, Watson. Emma Watson, right? Yeah. yeah. So I saw her in something being a bit sexy and sexual, and that was the first time I ever saw her, like as an adult in a movie being a bit sexy and sexual. And I, I was like, I was like, well, she's like an attractive woman, being mm-hmm. attractive. And and then I realized, oh, now I can never see the Harry Potter films. <laughs> like, not only have I not seen them, but now I yeah, can, you can never, never watch them. That's a because shame. Because I could not. It's like I have, um, uh, it, and I don't know, maybe this is a bit weird too, but I have like a, a photo that I like uh, of my, my ex Amy, like when she's a kid. And mm-hmm. she's like this cute photo. Yeah. Because like, I brought up some photos and stuff. I'm in a new apartment. I want some stuff around that reminds me of home. Yeah, you don't have to sell me on this. I don't think that's very weird. I, I have photos that like my girlfriend's mom has given me like look at this is your girlfriend when she was a kid and i right. feel like all right cool I, I it gives me there's nothing like she was still hot back then right <laughs> <laughs> everything checks out okay <laughs> no it's just like ah all right i, I get it <laughs> well that's yes <laughs> that's a good point uh, mine was a movie called zapped Ooh, Do you okay. know the movie? No, Zapped? I don't. It was uh, if I if I remember it correctly, it was uh, Scott Bio and uh, okay. whatever the other guy from Charles in Charge was called, Willie Hackett or Willie Bucket or I don't know, can't remember. What, with, with, I don't know. I don't know Charles in Charge well enough to help you there. Sorry. Well, funnily enough, the girl from Charles in Charge, mm-hmm. like the sister from Charles in Charge, was my version of your, you know, girl that you thought you could be your girlfriend. Oh, okay. So yeah, you did yeah. have one of those. Yeah, so I did have one to, of those. I think that's, yeah. I think but they were both, there. now that I think about it, I hadn't thought about it until then, they were both Scott Bayo connected. <laughs> <laughs> like Bayo who brought me to both yeah. of them. Your life is very Bayo adjacent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, um... I watched Zapped first. I remember I was at my cousin's place. I don't think my parents would have like let us like have a movie like Zapped, and it was about these guys who got this like power where they could like you know telekinesis things. Therefore, Zapped. I can't even remember how <laughs> they got the. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to look up the plot on Wikipedia because <laughs> I would really like to remember what. Hang on, I'm going to pause it I, for a second. Yeah, I think we do have to know what happened in Zapped. All right, um, Zapped <clears throat> came out in. 1982, the movie Zapped. Uh, and let's see what I can find out about it. So I don't think I would have watched it in 82 because that would have made me eight years old, which I think is a little bit – that seems a bit young to be. Mm-hmm. I reckon I must have watched it a couple of years later. <laughs> right? When it was out on video, so it would have been at least yeah, like – Yeah, yeah. Right? It probably didn't come out in Australia like on... It doesn't feel like the sort of movie that came out the week in Australia that it came out in America. We might have got it like yeah. six months later. But that's how everyone's mind seems to work. As you look up a movie, you see the year, you automatically assume you saw it that year. Right. The second it came out. I don't think I saw 10 movies in the theater in my entire life, maybe until I was like in high school. And yet, I'm always like, oh yeah, I must... That's a good point, out. actually. 
Yeah, yeah I went I to like Indiana Jones and I might have seen like one of the Star Wars films. That's and... about it, yeah. Right. Yeah, so I wasn't out there all the time. But in my head, when, the, when I see the year, I, I place myself, oh, okay, I, I was seven. No, really, I was nine. All right, well, uh, I'm going to run you through uh, okay. the movie Zapped. Lay it on me. Uh, Zapped. And oh, most important uh, to know that it's zapped with an exclamation mark, <laughs> which I think is important, is a 1982 teen film sex comedy. Teen and sex should not be in the uh, title, like the description of a movie very often. Right. That's a good point, actually. <laughs> uh, starring Scott Bayo as a high school student who acquires telekinetic powers. And he was 31 or so at the right. time. Yeah. <laughs> The film is regarded as a parody of Carrie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was not aware. I certainly did not see that subtext. <laughs> We're spoofing Carrie. But no one will know. <laughs> but also include spoofs. Why not call it Perry or Terry or something? Then Scott Bayo is Perry. I mean, that's a good point. That makes some sense if you're spoofing something. Uh, well, weirdly enough, it, it later led to some spoofing of my... No, anyway, that was a sad joke. I'm sad I went for that. Uh, so, um, a parody of Carity, but also includes, includes spoofs. I think you just said a parody of Carity. Parody of Carity. <laughs> uh, the Exorcist, Taxi Driver, Star Trek, and the 1990, a 1969 Kurt Russell film... The computer wore tennis shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that seems like a weird one to throw in. Yeah, the other ones seem like, oh, yeah, they, wow, they spoofed Taxi Driver. That's right. interesting. They spoofed the computer wore tennis shoes. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> Why would anyone? All right. Bayo stars as Barney Spring, Springborough, a student slash science lab nerd. Barney, does he go by Barry? Is that at least kind of the Carrie thing there? I mean, I mean, they could have, but no, Barney. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's. This is before nerds were cool too, right? You know, yeah, this is yeah. like these modern days where you know it's all about nerd culture. But this is he's a high school nerd who has teamed up with his future Charles in Charge castmate Willie Ames. Oh, okay, there you go, Willie Ames. Uh, the usual high school stereotypes appear, including the feminist class president. Mm. Uh, still hasn't been a real female president in America, though. Zapped hasn't changed that. Uh, the snobby cheerleader prom queen uh, and her mean-spirited jock boyfriend. Filling out the cast of the lovelorn maiden teacher, the befuddled principal, the hard-drinking coach, and Bayo's clueless parents. Man, those, those characters really are in most 80s movies. Yeah. Wow. So, here's the plot. This is what we need to know. Barney is a student slash science lab nerd who obtains telekinetic powers after a lab accident. Checks out so far. <laughs> Along with his best friend, Peyton Nichols, Ames, a wealthy playboy with a dirty mind. Nice. Uh, Barney uses his new powers to take revenge upon bullies. Cheat at sports. And this is the bit that I remember. And expose attractive female flesh. <laughs> I don't it's like even, the third thing? I don't even remember him like using them to cheat at sports. 
Like I, that is not even in my memory. I thought this movie was nonstop. They got the powers, and then they just went around making girls' bras fly off. Because that is all I remember from this film. Uh, I, could, I mean, that makes the most of you going to t- guys. Guys, they finally you telling your friends they did it. They finally just cut the other shit out of a movie. Right. It's all the stuff we want to see. It's just these guys get powers, and then it's just nudity everywhere. Exactly what we would do. Oh my god! It was yeah. So there you go. That's the um. Oh, they did make a sequel too. I wonder. Uh, I mean, which I've never seen. Teen sex romp. What what are we seeing here? When the the clothes go up, like a skirt blows up, and we see underpants. What what do you remember as a kid? What were you seeing? Oh, uh, well, so there was definitely bras that flew off, and there was exposed breasts. There was definitely exposed. Really? Breasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, for but sure. But it's on a high school campus. Yeah. That doesn't seem like that would ever fly. I mean, it feels like it's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, I, in retrospect, this is a terrible, terrible movie. I've just found a little bit of zapped, uh, a little bit of zapped trivia, though, which is uh, almost hard to believe, but apparently is true. Willie Ames was nominated by the Golden Raspberry Awards for Worst Actor for his performance in Zapped, right? Mm-hmm. Now, so far... That checks out. You remember that even as a kid, like, this guy's ruining this. Uh, no, no, he wasn't ruining it, but, like, he was terrible, right? <laughs> you can tell he was terrible. Yeah, okay. But the person he lost to is blowing my mind. He lost that year, the Golden Raspberry, to one of the greatest actors of all time. Guess? Yeah. Do you want to have a guess? 82. Yeah. Um, this was... This must have been like a uh, a De Niro or something. Even a bigger... I'm going to say even a bigger name in acting. Marlon Brando. Even a bigger name in acting than Marlon Brando, I'm going to say. <sighs> uh, who do people put above him? Sidney Poitier? I'm going to say even a bigger name than Sidney Poitier. Hmm. I'm out of guesses, I think. I don't know that I know actors well enough. Sir Lawrence Olivier. Ah, Wow. What was his Razzie for? It was for uh, Inchon, apparently a movie called Inchon. I don't know what... Okay, well, let's find out about Inchon as well then. Might as well. Uh, Inchon is a 1981 South Korean-American war film about the Battle of Inchon, uh, considered the turning point in the Korean War. Hmm. doesn't sound like it was chock full of laughs. But it also... Does, I mean, it seems like Zapped would lend itself to a Razzie because you're being goofy. Right. But... Korean War, how bad do you have to be for them to be like, oh, boy, you were worse than a spoof. I mean, maybe he was like playing a Korean person. The guy in a really who's... really broad, like in a really racist yeah, way. In that Mickey Rooney way with like the glued on uh, fake Asian eye thing. Or like Sir Lawrence Olivier is just like walking around, like just pulling his eyes to the side, <laughs> doing like a really racist Asian. Jake uh, Chong, hey, where's the, uh, what time you got there, sport? Jake Chong. What's going on with Olivier? <laughs> Totally racist. You're missing all your lines. <laughs> eh, Chick Chug, I'll figure them out later. <laughs> Chick Chug. <laughs> you can't just say Ching Chong and then the line. And then ching- That's horrible. <laughs> then um, uh, I guess I could see a Razzie for that. What were your um? What what were your favorite movies uh, apart from uh, Goonies? Slayers, you got a bit older, maybe. Like you know, talking moving years. through. Yeah. I mean, like, I remember yeah, what, really what liking. What were the informative ones? Uh, the Neverending Story, oh, Top yeah, okay. Gun. Um, yeah, I must admit, Top Gun. Like 
because I was in uh, San Diego and this like, I mean, they filmed a lot of it down there and there's so mm -hmm. many places around there. And I was actually um, with this dude from Australia who's like this, uh, he flies like the $50 million helicopters nice. and he took me out to like the base and basically like, oh, this is fucking, this is like Top Gun. <laughs> like, this is amazing. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. Right. And, and it, you realize how much of a like influence that movie and another one keeps coming back to my mind of late. Because mm -hmm. I, I wish they made movies like Point Break. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't mean... I know they're making Point Break again. Are you being serious? Yeah. I do a film review on, uh, on Graham and Chris's website, Comedy Film Nerds, and I rate my movies in Ex-Presidents because I love Point Break. It's an amazing it's film. The, I defy you to make a better movie than Point Break. And what I always bring up is that it is an existential movie but it's all the things you should be doing in life, having fun, living. But it doesn't beat you over the head with that. It's not until they're at the campfire and then he goes, I am scared. I am scared. And he goes, don't worry. I know how to handle this guy. This is not a game, Brody. We've made enough money. And then Bodie goes, it was never about the money. It was about us showing those poor souls that inch along in their metal coffins every morning that the human spirit is still very much alive. Damn it, that's good. Yeah. Point Break, it really just feathers it in so just perfectly. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I, the more that we keep not being able to make movies as good as that, yeah. the more I appreciate movies like that. Mm -hmm. It's like the original Die Hard film. I think there was some movies in the, that top period of time where they just got them so right. Yeah. And you think, we should... Like, where is the one of those in the last 10 years? Which just, yeah, when they made... It doesn't have to be the best movie in the world. Like, yeah. I know Die Hard's not the best movie in the world, but I'll fucking watch the shit out of that movie. Why do we go to movies? We want to transport ourselves somewhere. We want to be entertained. We don't want to be shit on or, like, made to feel like, well, this is just a bunch of explosions. There's a very concrete plot in Point Break, one that's been stolen over and over again. I mean, all of the Fast and Furious movies really borrowed heavily from that because it's a right. compelling story. And in Die Hard, that's been done a bunch, but the first time you see, like, oh, hostages, very bad guy, and a guy inside that you root for... That's a well-told story. But also the thing that shits me is like, I mean, I know that we say you, we have seen versions of all those films. Like yeah. even the Die Hard franchise have tried to make versions of that film yeah. and often terribly. Right. And I, it's how, it's a credit to how much I love the first one. <laughs> you know, you keep watching. That I keep watching those films yeah. in the hope that they will recapture some of that magic. Yeah. But what I'm like, I don't want to see like, you know, I know that, like, you know, I guess that the, the famous story was always that, like, you know, speed was like die hard on a bus, right? Mm -hmm. But I just think they used to be able to make like a good, like, you know, Point Break, Speed, Die Hard, like the movies that are just in between the big worthy good movies or like the shitty big, just really good movies that everybody can enjoy. Where are those when movies? They, I know because <laughs> film people listening to this conversation, like shut up, you idiots. They should stop making those movies. They need to have movies with reality and heart and some truth to them. And, I've, but they like, have those movies. They have plenty of those movies. There's and, fucking heaps of them. Go to a festival with your other eight mates. Yeah. I think that like um, when they made Sharknado, right. I was excited just that like someone sat around and went like, I'm tired of being told that movies have to be this thing, that have this clever drawn animation, and it's it, they all feel the same. This sort of indie, it's kind of cute, and it's self-referential, and they all have an album collection. All these characters, that's what defines them is their album collection. And there's nothing like... <laughs> 
There's no imagination to it. There was no like, what if there were sharks flying around up in the sky? Oh, all right, let's try to make... I like the same thing with kids drawing is they are not worried about what their friends are going to think. They just live in their imagination and draw it on paper. And then we beat that out of children. We, don't, we, we make fun of them. What are you drawing there? What's that shark have a pink head? And the kid goes, oh, I guess sharks shouldn't have a pink head. But if we allow that to happen, then you get cool movies that are original and uh, all those great things, all My- imaginative. My uh, friend Justin Hamilton, a very, very funny Australian comedian, has a great podcast called Can You Take This Photo, Please? He did a show called Purple Chaos, which was about that idea that you're talking about, about the idea of, you know, being told when he was a kid, cows aren't purple. And from Mm -hmm. that day on, like, cows weren't purple because you'd been told they weren't. But up until that point, they could be. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, obviously, like, there's a point in your life where evolutionary, like, to live in the world... You know, the people who, you know, still as an adult think cows are purple are probably going to have trouble coping with the yeah. way that we've set up the rest of the world. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we don't have to, like, beat it all out of them. Or Isn't that what movies are? It's a place we can go where cows are still purple. Right. We've summed it up. Yeah, Damn it. that's it. Purple cows. <laughs> 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 Thanks very much for listening, guys, to this uh, religious hour. Oh, if I just knew how to play a violin. <laughs> <laughs> that would be also the coolest thing if you had just like do you imagine it out, it just yeah. brought out a violin yeah be like okay well this is this is actually great it's <laughs> great now um do you play a musical instrument or i own a guitar i've played it for 10 years i've gone out of my way to not really learn how to play it correctly i just like it as like a stress relief i like to make tunes and notes in or in the order that i like them just as sort of like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. And that's it. I don't really ever learn any other songs. I don't read music. I'm a terrible musician by musical standards, but I like to pick it up and play it just to, I like the, I think I like it in the same way that like people want to not have some structure for a moment in their lives, you know, just to kind of, I don't want to have to know how the scales and the chords work together. I want to just goof around on this thing. So Yeah, right. So I guess I could probably learn how. I think my finger dexterity is okay, but I've never bothered to learn how to play. I had a friend, I have a friend who um, is the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. He decided he was going to learn to play guitar. And so he just taught himself how to play guitar in a year. And then like, and now can play, can play guitar. Like wow. in a year. One just, year. Yeah. He's like That's an awesome. obsessive person. Yeah. But like when he sets his mind to something, he just like, but he could, the idea for him of like going, I'll buy a guitar and I'll just like noodle around on it. Like uh-huh. It's ridiculous. He's like, well, I'm going to get one and in a year I'll be able to play it. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, I would like to be able to do that, but I couldn't. Yeah, I there's couldn't a part that, of me, do you vision, envision yourself kind of like that? There's a part of me that wishes I were more like that because I'd have more attainable skills. Like, wow, if I just took a year and I learned how to rock climb, then a year how to right. play this instrument, then a year how to surf, I'd have all these skills and I'd speak languages and I'd do all these things that I think I'd want to be able to do. But The thing I know about myself is I would never be bored as an independently wealthy person. Like, yeah. you know how some people are like, oh, you know, what would I do in my time if I couldn't work? Right. I'd find fucking heaps of things to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying I wouldn't still work. Like, mm-hmm. I have a career where... Like, if, but if I had like, you know, millions of dollars for some reason, mm-hmm. like I would just be doing better work and then going off for like six months. And like, like you said, learning, like, you know, Eddie Izzard inspires me with like, he, you know, he learned French and went and did a concert and yeah. now he's learning German and he's going to go and do his like gig in Germany in <laughs> oh German. Like, that's, that's I mean, the ability, like that's what I would do if I had 
like you know that money i'd be like yeah i'm gonna go and like you know do these things maybe i will learn a musical instrument maybe i'll fucking do a show where i like play my own theme music at the start or whatever like <laughs> yeah. but it'll be something cool i've always had this like real and as i get older this gets a little bit more creepy like it probably needed to happen like 10 years ago or whatever mm. but my ultimate dream would have been if I'd ever like one tats lot or whatever, I'd just come in, randomly come into like a huge amount of money for something. Mm-hmm. Was I just wanted to open like an Andy, like like an like what Andy Warhol did at the factory, like where I had a space where like artists could use it for like there'd be comedy there and there'd be like you know people doing their art there and like living, you know, they could live yeah. there and they could it could be like a community where people would be like. Yeah, the musicians could be collaborating with like the artists and like and we'd all like hang out and take drugs and have sex sometimes and stuff as well (laughs) that's why it gets a bit creepy as you get older like (laughs) it gets a little caress as you get older when you're starting to go everyone come along but it's so romantic from you you see it on the functioning version you don't get to see it after hours when you're having to kick the drug addicts out and you know people are burning things oh yeah that'd be terrible yeah I mean they're artists they would take so much advantage of me they wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't appreciate it in the spirit that I was. And artists get into those weird modes where they're ripping paintings off right. walls and burning them. And this is what art is. And then you go, oh, damn it. Yeah, but it can also be just hanging on a wall. Right. Us, you know. Well, I'll just set up a burning space, a safe burning space. <laughs> yeah. I like no, a bit I of like that, that as well. I like a little bit of drama in my life. So I, and I, I like to be, again, I like to be next to drama rather than being the kind of the, that's what I've learned about myself as I've got older is like earlier on in my career and my life, even at school, like I, I think I was very reactionary. Like mm-hmm. my way of defining myself was often like I'd, I was always very suspicious of what I considered to be undeserved authority. Yeah. And so that normally means that if you think you've got a shitty teacher or someone who's not doing their job, then you get in confrontation with those people. And for me, it was always being a smart aleck about, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, parroting them or mocking them or like being disrespectful or whatever. Yeah. But it certainly carried through into the early part of my career where like I was the sort of person who would go on the television or go on the radio and say something outrageous or provocative about the government or about like, you know, <laughs> yeah. sex or about like whatever, because I was like, but then I realized I don't really like being in the center of that. Mm-hmm. I just like being around it. I like to be a drama facilitator and I enjoy <laughs> once we're in it. Yeah. But I don't actually like to be the person who like, you know, because I'm not 100% sure of what I think about the world. So it's hard for me to like publicly make a statement that is black and white. Yeah. Because as soon as people are going, well, what about this? I'm like... Oh, no, no, yeah, that is a pretty fair <laughs> point, I suppose. I'll yeah. take that on board, you know. <laughs> like, I think that's what has always kept me from being a reactionary like that, is thinking, I have a pretty good idea, and then I talk to someone else. There's always, for me, I've been a rational friend who's gone, you know, you're seeing someone be a revolutionary, and then I'd have a friend that would go, yeah, you know, that sounds good on paper, but what about this? And then i go, ah, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, I- I'm glad I wasn't the one standing up there fist in the air going burn it burn it all you know i wouldn't want to be the leader of that right because even it's, though it seems romantic i mean for me uh, it, this is a little bit of a, a left turn but it, it, i've been reading a lot about the woody allen uh, oh, yeah. things over the last few days and that's been provocative to mm-hmm. me i don't know what your opinion on or if you even have an opinion i read like but- two things and then just kind of moved on thinking i'll wait until something definitive comes out because at this point do you see his movies I I haven't seen a ton. I'm not one of those people that watches them religiously every year. It you know, I as someone who's like put a lot of work into a project, say any one given project, there's always going to be a part of you that wants people to go, "Isn't this great?" 
And they go, no, nah, not really. And you go, but I put so much work into it. And then people go, who gives a shit? It's, it's what turned out. Right. So because you made a movie a year, does that in its own right make it great? Not necessarily. It's an, it's an interesting feat. However, that doesn't mean I have to watch all of them and think they're all great. So when I hear some buzz, I saw Midnight in Paris. I thought that was great, you know, and I, I think I got on to Annie Hall too late. I'm one of those people that it didn't impact me profoundly. And yep. I've had a girl that I was on the pedestal like that that I thought was amazing and the movie should have resonated with me but I just thought like well I've kind of lived through this it it seemed like when I read on the road like this should have been bigger for me but I just right. got on too late but so. yeah not the right time yeah yeah it wasn't Goonies like I mean if you watch Goonies now <laughs> yeah kind of the same it's got to be at right. the right time at the right yeah, moment to absolutely. capture that yeah. if I watch Zap now I'd be like <laughs> well I've seen porn now <laughs> No, I still think Zap was awesome. Think, I mean, <laughs> I've just heard about it and I think it's amazing. I would like to see Zap porn. Yeah. Why isn't someone out there doing a Zap parody? That's <laughs> great for a porn movie. I know some, no one has watched that movie in years, but like, just take the plot even. Yeah. Just some dudes who were walking around. That has like, to exist. And yeah. they're zapping the, like, the bikinis off. Yeah. That's uh, still a good porn plot. That is, yeah. Else. Uh, no, that, that does work. And mer- very minimal like special effects you would need. You need like a little invisible string. You just right. pull we can, um, we can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> if there's anyone listening who wants to be in our Zap porn parody. Um, yeah, so Woody Allen, um, mm-hmm. what about the, yeah, the, the allegations that have kind of resurfaced? Do they influence in any way whether you would watch his work or not watch his work? Do you separate the man from the, the artist? How do you feel about that whole thing? Uh, I go... Uh but I go to kind of uh, in, in some way or another art is always going to be separated from whoever created it, whether that person wants it to happen or not. Right. And you could reference people. From, like, I always think of in our lifetime, contemporary people like Michael Jackson and Mel Gibson, obviously mm-hmm. Woody Allen currently. Roman it's harder Polanski? for us. Roman Polanski. I'm not that familiar with his work. So for me, I know I've read more about the Roman Polanski come in this room and just it disgusts me to an end where I would feel like well now his art that I haven't seen I'm going to avoid it which is fair or unfair I don't know but it's just a decision that I have made whereas like Michael Jackson you you couldn't escape it it's gonna be played throughout malls it's everyone just kind of went well none of these allegations really stuck yes he paid off some children's families (laughs) and he gave them some tours but we haven't seen him in handcuffs like serving time and and i think with woody allen it's kind of going to be the same thing i this article you know the the letter comes out and anyone that reads it goes that's true that's 100 percent true i just i just i don't know what it is i believe it there's a part of me that doesn't like myself for that. Like I'm seeing pixels on a screen and I'm going, this son of a bitch. Well, I don't, all the things they say about her, that maybe she manufactured it or was put there. And then I read, you know, some counters to it because I was so sold on it. And then after a while, I just started thinking like, I don't know. And I am probably never going to know. And I don't need to be swayed one way or another. I'll just sit back. I'll ignore his work. One way, the same way I was before. I wasn't racing out to see it. It's not like it's going to alter my uh, perception. I don't don't know how you'd feel if you were like a lifelong fan. Like, because to me, I'm I'm a bit more confronted by it this time because, firstly, I realize how flip floppy I am. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's why you know we started talking about this. Is like when I read the allegations, it felt really compelling to me. But then I read his response where he wrote, you know, explained everything, and I was kind of like. 
you know, that does actually make a lot of sense. And then I read a response to that and I was like, oh, yeah, no, you're right. He's terrible. Yeah. And like, if nothing else, we should like, because one of the other articles I read just rang through the whole, don't even worry. Like, I mean, not don't even worry if this is true, mm-hmm. but let's just go over the whole he married his daughter thing again. Yeah. Like, despite yeah. what he says about the nature of that relationship, I'm just going to run you through what the nature, and you're like, oh, you know, no, that's, that alone for me is something that I feel icky. Yet I watched Blue Jasmine because I was interested to see, you mm-hmm. know, how Kate Blanchett was in it. I watched Midnight in Paris and I quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder, and it's much like the Olympics and stuff like that, where you're like, you know, you know that there's like, you see all these art- articles online about, you know, them killing dogs or kicking out homeless or like taking advantage of, and you think, well, from a point of view of like, I try to buy the ethical coffee, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I try to, yeah. you know, be the guy who's, you know, I'm not buying any blood diamonds. Am I really allowed to sit and enjoy the Olympics or, you know, go, am I meant to be giving any of my money to Woody Allen? Like, you know, yeah. man, are, are these moral choices I should be making or not? I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that I have like a I know, right, I think, right or wrong on that, but. Yeah, being, unless you live in a village somewhere and it's a very agrarian sort of currency exchange of bartering goods you're in some way or another probably going to be giving some of your money at some point to a horrible corporation, to a horrible person, to bad art. And we... Oh, there's nothing that I enjoy more than somebody, a vegan, giving you a lecture at a party about... And by the way, I'm like a vegetarian. I'm not like, mm-hmm. you know, but like giving you a lecture about how like, you, you know, you're still insulting to everybody because you're a vegetarian, not a vegan. And then like yeah. doing a line of cocaine off the table. And I'm like, <laughs> so is that... Ethical cocaine? I'm pretty sure there's blood, like someone's blood. Someone died or got manipulated (laughs) or got killed in, like, you know, because of that. Like, right. Yeah. I, the, uh, or even just, you know, being a vegetarian and eating tofu, which is soy, which is every soybean essentially is now owned by Monsanto, which you couldn't find like a bigger, scarier corporation or conglomerate uh but as art like as art so you don't like this movie because it's too explosions it's too there's no depth to it we we want artists creating things we want artists creating things artists have demons they have philip seymour hoffman is not someone you would project or predict would die with a heroin needle in his arm but then when it happens it makes sense you go oh oh, that's where all that depth came from he had demons he had struggles and certainly like in our industry some of the people that you've seen like you know have yeah the best of the best have had a myriad of like demons or issues or mm-hmm. whatever they were like might not have been the best people in real life you know absolutely or you even just... if they are good people sometimes moments of tragedy or like you know sickness or ill health or some like you know mm-hmm. they're the moments that the you know the the real great moments in their career spring out of yeah well or in their art you know maybe not their career sure. is not the right word but you know what i mean like where they find that moment to be able to talk about. Like J.D. Salinger, I just watched a documentary on him, which everyone recognizes, and I think everyone would put him in that class of like artists, and his art has influenced so many people. And he was a rich kid, and he joined the military and fought his way into it. He was told he couldn't for like some physical ailment, got in and saw the most horrible things. I mean, he saw Holocaust victims being mass buried, and he saw things that stuck with him, Later in life, you know, as he's a recluse, he 
he would write letters to young, young women and, and sort of court them and things that if you saw a 30 year old man walking on the beach with a 13 or a 14 year old, like, why are they walking together every day? Oh, it's fine. They're not doing anything. They're just friends. Like, I still don't trust that that older gentleman is friends with a teenage girl. That's weird to me. But Catcher in the Rye is really good. So you, we just look past that shit all the time. And if no one's caught or if there are no allegations, it's a lot easier. Imagine if someone that everyone revered, you find out Dr. Seuss was kind of a racist. Walt Disney was a racist. You go, eh, that's not the end of the world. Right. Is it? It's pretty, it's, if you heard the things they said, it might be so much worse than seeing a guy walking with a teenage girl. It's just, it, it, you don't get to see it. But now you have those Woody Allen images. So you kind of have seen it. And it really, you find out how much it impacts you. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I still don't know how I feel about any of that. But it, it, it certainly has been like a reminder to me of like how difficult it is. And I guess how much I admire when somebody believes in something enough to... Like, <clears throat> I'm anti-whaling. But I saw the Sea Shepherd people the other day down the street and went and had a chat to them. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why I felt like I could just walk up and, like, <laughs> I give money to them occasionally. So yeah. I guess I felt like I just wanted to say, like, good on you guys and yeah. whatever. And they seem nice enough about, like, saying good day. Um, but afterwards, as I was walking back from that, I was thinking, I, I think I would like to believe in something that much. Like, I'm not sure that I believe in anything that much that I'd be willing to give up everything else that I'm doing to go and like, like get on a boat and go out and like put our boat in the way of like Japanese whaling boats to stop them killing whales. Yeah. Like, and I wonder if like, you know, I'm, you, you're missing out on something like by not I think having it's like, felt like that, you know, it could, it could bubble up though. It could be a zit under your existential skin right now where you're going to reach a period where like why am i unfulfilled the same way your friend is like i'm just going to learn guitar something was gnawing at him like i am not as well-rounded or a defined human being as i'd like to be you know what'll make me seem cooler if nothing else i get out on that whaling ship boy people would love to hear that story in a bar so you kind of (laughs) to me that seems like a comedian's mindset of going ah he's only thinking about it for the material (laughs) I think to some degree people are living their lives to look upon their lives to feel right. better about it. You know, I, I think that the whales, that seems great, but in some way you have to see yourself doing it to do it. You know, most things that you enter into, whether it's going to sign up for a new class or something, you kind of have to be like, all right, I'm going to go do that. And then you picture yourself doing it. And so picturing yourself out on like a whaling boat, I think it's part of it. I think they go, yeah, I've got to do that. I like that version of me and I like saving those whales. But I think it's just as selfish as, uh, as it is like, uh, altruistic. Um, well, tell me, have you ever believed in anything that much? Have, has there been anything that you've ever protested like for or against or hmm. like made a big stink about or anything that you feel like, you know, if I always think about this in relation to, and again, like a couple of things that I, like I mentioned the butler, but I also, when Nelson Mandela died, I went and saw the movie and I have been reading, like I read all the like you know, obituaries and stuff and tried to really kind of, I, I, what I realized was that I knew probably like, if you ask me most of the things about, like, you know, that people generally know about Nelson Mandela, I probably knew like 75, 80% of those things. But I didn't really know, you know, all the hard facts. And I felt like that was someone I should know all those things about. Yeah. So I took a bit of time when he died to, like, really try to, 
like oh good yeah yeah nice. get across it and know the story from start to finish and i certainly learned a lot of things that i mm-hmm. that i did not know about it and uh but it also then strikes you of like i've not ever been a person in my lifetime like i'm a white man who grew up in australia you know kind of like we well we were like middle class and like working you know middle class like Mm -hmm. you know my dad's a farmer but we never really like you know wanted for anything like you know i'm a white man in australia which is as lucky as you can be you know as a birthright (laughs) you know i went to private school i've been at university like you know i have never had to fight for any of my rights really mm-hmm. like and so it all you sometimes you're like maybe it would have been great to be part of like the civil rights movement maybe it would have been great to be part of you know like you know oh yeah but at the same time you wonder then but if you are raised in that environment and you like the message like i wonder if you would be the person like would i be the person i am now who's like i would have fought for <laughs> rights and you know Oh yeah, or yeah. would I have been like the one who's just like, well, I don't know, I can see both arguments, I suppose. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Whenever someone claps by themselves in a comedy club, I reference in some way that they may have had a chance to be a hero. The way we all say that we would during slavery or the Holocaust have done something. Those are the only people I think that may have because it's really hard to clap in a room full of strangers and continue it. Just like, right. I don't care what you assholes think. No. I'm going through with it. Yeah. Cause the rest of us go, might go do a one clap and go, Ooh, right. no, one's nope, into no one else Ooh. is in. No, Ooh, sorry. sorry. I was just that? actually, I was, yeah, there's was a, a bug trimmer. in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that, that idiot, he must have a lot of bugs. Cause I was just, there was a little bug here. That's yeah. All that's all that's happening. <laughs> Carry on. Don't even look at me. Don't even look at the side of it. <laughs> I uh, no, I, I totally identify with that. I'd that would have been the guy like in Germany's like, all right, we'll have a vote because there seems to be a few things about this. <laughs> Who thinks we should save the Jews? Clap your hands. One guy starts really like, Schindler's over in the corner, clapping hard. One other guy next to him is like, oh no, no, bug, bug, bug. yeah. A lot of you bugs. guys think that we should get him, get him, right. guys. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he wasn't one of us. I knew it the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder. So, do you have anything? Is there anything about like you I'm would be like you, spoiled about? white person, uh, often thinking of the things that I don't have. And however, entering into this, you know, field or whatever, which is in no way a certainty that you're going to achieve or attain anything. It's a constant kind of a struggle. So, in some ways. You, at least for me, you kind of end up identifying with people that are that are struggling, that are kind of spinning the wheel a little bit. But I would always try to give a little bit where I can make time. I always felt silly where like, well, I can't give away a thousand dollars. I just it would crush me, at you know, at certain points. And then, uh, but I even at my brokest, like I ran a marathon and then I, uh, you know, raised money and gave that to charity and felt good about that. Or like when I was subbing. I would stay after school and volunteer for some of that stuff. Or even when I was in college and I really had a busy schedule, I would go like once or twice a week to the school and just play with the kids and volunteer and help one of the teachers and kind of monitor them as they did their homework. Just almost nothing. And yet to me, it felt like, well, I'm at least doing something. And that's something I always wanted to keep in my head where, all right, I'm doing a little bit when I can. And then when I can do more, I'll do a little more. 
And so, you know, doing little things like that feels like eh, it's something. It's certainly not like what I'd ideally like to be doing, you know. And I'll get involved in little causes along the way of like it really bugged me the labeling of GMOs and how the food conglomerates put out that stupid advertising that said like, well, labeling food would cost the average family over $400 a year. And everyone changed their vote and said, well, we, we can't afford $400 a year. Like. That made no sense to me, right. and and I had been on like the email chain. Yeah, and I just it, like you could have just not like run this advertising campaign and <laughs> absorb the cost back yeah. in your business and a hundred times right. over. <laughs> and how does ink one extra line of ink cost that much months for right. it? That makes no sense. Yeah, I don't think you actually. Also, I don't. Think, you didn't have. They didn't want you to have to go and stamp it on your old foods. <laughs> like you didn't have to make labels. Yeah, and no, get down to the whole foods. Like yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. So but there was I, one of those recently about the those full page ads in the uh, paper around the the argument around the minimum wage in this country because mm-hmm. basically the minimum wage in this country is it's well the minimum wage should be like the minimum amount of money that you can like live on mm-hmm. it's not it's well under that like no one can live on the the minimum oh no wage. question like yeah, it's just yeah. impossible yeah, to live absurd. on the minimum wage yeah and so. Um, they're trying to raise it like, well, I think they were going to try to raise it $3. But again, still only to just like just over $10 or something. Yeah. Like it's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And these big companies are running these big, you know, four-page ads in these newspapers about like, you know, why it's a terrible idea for, you know, for yeah. everyone. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it's – the argument is always that, well, anyone has the right to like buy, you know, these ads in the but, – but the other people can't. Like all the poor people who are going to be affected by this, who are getting fucked by the rich people, because that's why the rich people are running the ads. They're not actually <laughs> running those ads yeah. to help you out, poor people. They're running <laughs> the ads to make sure that you don't fuck up their awesome rich existence where they all get to hang out with each other and you can all just stay poor yeah. and in your spot. That's what the ads are about. But they need to convince you because one day you'll realize that there's heaps of you and there's not actually that many of them. And right. if you all just like ganged up together against <laughs> them, then mm-hmm. they would have to actually give away some of their money to you guys so they try to distract you and suggest that somebody else is coming over the border to take your job and you should blame them instead of the fact that 85 percent of the people in the 85 people in the world have most of the fucking money but anyway anyway <laughs> welcome to this part of the podcast <laughs> I, I like start. it <laughs> i think it's a great movie you get a, a, a you could be the leader so, or someone with that you know wanting to stand on the table and shake a fist it, the prisons are full. Where are they going to put all of us if 10,000 people march onto some rich guy's estate and climb the fence and get attacked by the dogs and then just hang out there? Right. They're going to come arrest 10,000 people or is that guy going to suddenly go, all right, I'll break up some of my investments. I'll take down some of these trust funds and distribute it in a different way. Not right. even giving it that to the That was the problem people. with Occupy Wall Street. It should have been like Occupy number 25 Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. We're going yeah. to his place first and yeah. then it's Occupy number 37 Wall Street and we'll get, <laughs> we'll get around. We'll get, yeah. It, yeah, that, that movement made no sense to me other than to show them, well, there's a lot of people. I mean, But this is the problem with like, you know, the newspapers in general when they're used for that sort of political advertising is that the other side mm-hmm. doesn't have the opportunity to respond in kind. So right. it's an unfair environment. And that's the problem where, you know, when Rupert Murdoch, for example, owns like – you know, all these newspapers, then like, you know, surely the people who are of the interest who are giving him the, like, you know, just anyway, I'm if sorry, you, if you, I mean, so all I'm assuming things, in about a year, Rupert Murdoch will also own all podcasts. So probably this one will get edited. Say out. you find some, some audio that's 
uh, it's tough with audio because it's, it's hard for me to say it's undeniable. It could be someone doing a voice, but you get a recording from a, a, you know, a shareholders meeting or something that is inflammatory and it leaks out. Well, it gets out to 5,000 people, let's say. Rupert Murdoch gets a hold of that and goes, all right, here, I want to buy that file from you and I want to find a way to go get it back from where it was disseminated to and I'm going to give you a million dollars. So you really have to have some convictions at that point to say, no, the 5,000 people I reached matter more to me, or a million dollars is pretty sweet. You know, it only takes one figurehead to jump out and be like, I'm doing something great. And then a rich person comes over and goes, whoa, 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 I know what you're whoa. doing it for. Yeah. You'd love to be rich like us, wouldn't you? I can help with that. And now you're not a reactionary anymore. Now you go, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, I guess I was being a little out of line. And then you just quietly go away. It's like all those fun, free things that we enjoy on the internet that you're like, how do these, how does this Twitter make money? Oh, no, it doesn't. But at some stage, someone will buy it and ruin it and then it'll make money. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's probably why we don't have any advertisers on this program. <laughs> Uh, it has been a pleasure to talk to you, mate. Where can people find you, like online, on the internet, all those sort of things? Uh, DavidHuntsberger.com. I'm on Twitter at, at HuntsbergerJunk. And um, if, on iTunes, I have a few CDs up there. Yes, people can buy your albums. So yeah. they should definitely do that. Is iTunes the best place to do that? Probably. Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I know they're on Amazon as well. You can... I don't know that I have the link up on my website. It's kind of a pain for me to sell the physical copies uh -huh. and the record label is not good at that either. So probably my website is the best way to get physical copies, but uh, I think maybe Amazon has them as well. All right. Uh, and what about live work? Can people see you touring anywhere soon? Uh, not anywhere soon. Toward, toward the spring and fall, I'll be um, doing a lot more out of town dates for now. Uh, just hanging around LA, drawing a lot. Nice. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on. I'm going to give a quick plug to, I'm doing a gig uh, this Sunday night if you're in LA. It's my uh, last gig in LA before I go home to tour for a while. Um, it's at the, uh, it's at the House of Blues, maybe? I don't know. I'll put the details on the Facebook page. Uh, Matt Kirshen's on, who's uh, been on this show a bunch. So please uh, come and see that. And my Australian tour starts uh, in less than three weeks. I'll be at the Adelaide Fringe with uh, my new show, Will Luminati. Um, uh, the first four nights are cheaper previews so if you're on a budget um, get in on those nights and help me decide which jokes will stay in the show and which ones <laughs> may not make it to the end of the tour uh, and uh, then I've got a week at the Brisbane Comedy Festival the Cheap Tuesday's almost sold out so if you want to get in for that uh, but only six shows in Brisbane a month at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival again um, I love you the tight asses who are getting early all the Tuesdays are really selling out so if you want the cheaper shows get in quick for those uh, but I'm there for four weeks at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and then Sydney Comedy Festival, Chatswood's already sold out. Uh, we've put on an extra show and uh, the two shows at the end more are uh, nearly 70% sold out, each of those. So they're the only two shows we can do, I think. So if you want to come and see that, I know it's May and it's a long way away, but um, uh, people have already bought tickets. So they're planning ahead. So maybe you guys should too. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Cheers.